We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and let's talk some trades today. The Lakers famously waited over the course of the summer, did not make their big uh, Russell Westbrook trade, and but bef- prior to the Indiana game, David McMenamin reported that the basic thought uh, is that the Lakers are looking to trade Russ in one first round pick for one trade package and then Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn for another. Now, Russ makes $47 million and Beverly and Nunn make a combined 19. And so you can get a lot of player back for that. So the downsides of not making the trade in terms of the immediate team is you're kind of this team that's stuck in between two different places and, uh, we have this sort of misshapen roster of which we're trying to make the best of it. But one of the benefits of it is you know your team better than you did. You can do all the theorizing and projecting and the this guy's going to work and that thing's going to work, but you don't actually know until you see it. And there have been a couple of guys, Damian Jones and Kendrick Nunn come to the front of mind, that I think we thought would be a big part of what we were doing and that had a shot and now are now either out of the rotation or – further down it. I'm super curious now that we got Pat Bev coming back for tonight's game, if none is in the rotation. But that's one of the examples, right, of one of the things that you learn from watching your team early on. But even aside from that, I think we have some knowledge on Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And so let's start there. D, in terms of determining what we need, I think it's important to understand who AD and LeBron are. AD has played mostly the five position this year, and it's gone great. And so that begs one of the questions, do we need a starting center? Do we need a backup center? And then from LeBron's perspective, we've been having these conversations about his ability to turn the corner. Is he a high post triple threat guy? What does that mean for the rest of the roster if he is? Uh, what and, and so I think determining that, determining what AD and LeBron are first, and then Finding the pieces that supplement around that is an important way of going about doing this. So I kick it over to you, D. How do you look at this? It's funny because 
all the learning, everything you just said is totally true. And I think the context of where LeBron and AD are and how they've they've played certainly gives us more information. Um, but I think it gives us more information about them and not necessarily as much about what the team needs. Because what I, I continue to go back and think about, a lot of the things that the Lakers need are the things that they've needed. It's the same stuff we speculated about over the summer to a certain sure. extent or to say it a different way the skill sets and player archetypes that best support lebron and anthony davis have not changed in the month or two months that we've had of regular season basketball right mm -hmm. and so i think figuring out what the best players are is going to come down to very specific conversations about an individual, like player X versus player Y, and, and what type of guy could best help improve this specific team, right? And, and so, are you like on the same page with me so far at all, or are you thinking like, oh, well, no, like I'm actually thinking something different? The the one thing is LeBron's like is to what degree is LeBron a perimeter player? Anymore, sure. Right. Because when LeBron's been on the court, even aside from like the jump shooting and, and his individual struggles, we're not creating good offense. And part of it is when I watch LeBron, he's like he has to plow through guys way more than he used sure. to. And yes. so just like where he belongs on the floor, I think that has changed to a degree where like I don't think he could win as the 2020 guy that he was right where he was more of a point guard in terms of that guy who handles the ball at the top of the key and i don't want to act yes. it's like fully one or the other right but i think he's less of that than he's ever been and i think that that the results of that impact what we should be looking for i think that's true i also would love to see what that looks like in more lineups that have the type of skill sets that 2020 team had, right? And so I'm 100% in line with, with what you're saying, but I also think that, well, would LeBron look different if the second defender didn't creep as much, right? And if he had more opportunity to create from spots on the floor where the defense wasn't so compressed against him. And if the Lakers offense then was producing the types of made baskets that and had a better, I don't want to say shot profile, but shot making profile than the one that they've had so far this season, right? Now that's been trending a very specific way, but it's been trending that way with LeBron in and out of the lineup and with him not necessarily back to the level where I would expect him to be back to in like a month from now, phys well, physically. So I do think LeBron Mike relies more and more on on his jump shot. I also wonder what that looks like if there are more skill guards around him or shooting threats around him. But I want to punt that to you because I know that you have very specific thoughts on like the value of shooting in general. But I'm wondering how you bridge that with where LeBron is currently and then how that impacts what the Lakers needs are. So I'm still in a bit of a zoom out mode and I don't think my opinion has changed much from the off season after what we've seen to start this regular season as to, you know, what I think would be ideal to optimize, not just the roster for this year, but next year. 
and then moving forward. And this is where you start to get into the whole, okay, trading one pick versus two picks. And I know we had the whole one and a half conversation. I'm trying to think about LeBron specifically though. And so LeBron, I think you first just have to acknowledge where we're at in year 20, but I do think that he's versatile enough still, even within that context to fit around like I wouldn't, there isn't a specific type of guy, I guess is, would be my answer um, that you would have to get towards LeBron. He wouldn't be the reason it, it's, it's still back into the whole, how close are the Lakers to doing, to getting somewhere where they could have a chance to win this year versus having a chance to win next year. And, and so maybe Pete, I want to throw that back to you um, to get a little bit lasered in more on that point, because I'm still, I'm not taking that as, as a, uh, as something that, would impact things sure. more so than just whatever the personnel is that you can get. Um, and that's, that's the thing that I always like when people send me stuff in the trade machine, you know, I'm always <laughs> sort of like, well, yeah, but why would that other team do that? You know, the, and course. that's, that's still the point of where I've, I've struggled to find something that fits perfectly yet this year. So those conversations I think are a little bit down the line in terms of other, uh, other teams and probably a good half of them will happen in our text thread, not here on this pod. Right. But in terms of, LeBron and, and just like players that fit around him. I believe that a championship contender has to have a guy that you give the ball to on the perimeter at the end of a game and say, go get us a bucket. And they have to be on the perimeter. And this goes like one of the, I remember watching Kobe and Shaq when Shaq was the man, like just this dominant force of nature. And the last five minutes of a close game, it was still Kobe that was more of the number one option during those situations than not. Right. It's just the nature, right, of those that last five minutes. And that's something that in terms of watching this team, that's been part of this team's personality. And there are all these reasons for it, and we've touched on on it a bit. But the fact remains that we've really struggled with our last five minute of a close game offense. And that's really important that you have that. And I think that the when I was talking about LeBron in 2020, LeBron was still an elite perimeter, go get us a bucket type of guy. And I still and whereas now I I really think he's more of a triple. And again, you can win a championship like this. MJ was that in the last three, especially the, the last uh, championship run in 98, where he was way more of that back to the basket, triple post kind of guy. And obviously the game has changed. But the point being is that superstars, as they get older toward their career, especially the best of the best, evolve. Like Magic was different by the end of his career than he was in the beginning. Uh, and and Kobe, same type of thing, right? You evolve and you kind of grow as a player. And this to me is LeBron's, I don't want to say last chapter, but like the last evolution of his potential superstardom to me. But I think you need somebody on the perimeter that can help facilitate that. Now, how good do they have to be at that is an interesting question that we can get into. But that's what I, where I my mind goes, Mike, is that if LeBron is no longer that perimeter, give him the ball and let him go to work to that degree. I think there needs to be some supplementation there. Well, it almost just makes you rewind back to the couple of minutes before they made the Westbrook trade, in a sense, because a lot of what you're talking about is the, the idea of that is what Westbrook could have, should have, would have been able yep. to do. Yeah, that was and, the, the, what they were going for. Right. Yeah. And, and yet, right. And this is where my part of the argument comes back into play, you know, while acknowledging the importance of that, and, and we've gone back and forth on the shot creation element, and, and it's and you're right about I think about the sort of crunch time. But if you have big wings still like around or just bigger players around LeBron and AD, 
And then just somebody that can at least like this is where I get that Dennis Schroeder isn't the high level of this or Austin Reeves isn't a high level of that. But I still would rather have a couple of bigger, just all around good basketball players and then rely mm-hmm. enough on LeBron and AD and who like somebody else behind that, which whatever like I mentioned, a like shooter reads, whatever. That's still a build that I like more than trying to, to find a way to get a, a primary shot creator. Most of which, especially at the point guard level are like $25 million plus. And then like with where the roster's at now, I find that build, it, it seems to me like that would be harder. And even if you got that player, then you're still lacking all of those other things that big, the size, the two-way type players, even like a center that you could play next to AD a little bit more. So, which makes me excited to hear and sit, sit back and listen as you guys explain how this is going to work. <laughs> because it, I, it's like, the th- does that make sense? Like the theory of it versus what's practically in how you build a roster. I, I'm still... No, 100%. So as you know, Mike, I have extensive lists on this, as you can imagine. So I'm not saying this is how it's going to work, but this is at least how I've worked it out, right? In terms of like, I think these are plausible names and these are plausible paths to, and, and we could talk about that more again over the the thread, but I totally get, but that's part of the fascinating thing about this, D, is that like, it is a certain whack-a-mole, like Mike's saying, oh, if you get that $25 million plus shot creator, like you have other needs too. Are you going to be able to fill them sufficiently if you pursue that? So it's part of the what's intriguing about this conversation. Well, this also goes back to a piece of the conversation we had when we were discussing LeBron the last pod um, after the Pacers game, right? Which is, and this is a longer conversation, but the version of LeBron in the Pacers game, I don't want to mistake that version for the version that he would be in April necessarily. Right. Like, and I think that it's going to, it's an interesting projection in our minds about where he's going to be physically, how much he's going to have left in the tank to create the types of shots that you were talking about. He was creating in 2020 and forecasting that based off of what we've seen so far this season where he's not had a single game where he's not been on the injury report. Mm. Right. And, and and so I'm now there's strong arguments to be made. Well, he's in his 20th year. He's going to be on the injury report like every night. He just tweaked his ankle against the Pacers. I think that impacted how he played in, in the second half of, of that game as well. But, and then the, the subplot of that is, is, well, how much is LeBron going to give up the ball anyway? How much is he going right. to commandeer possessions? How much is like, because then it may be Russell Westbrook costs $47 million, but he gets relegated to the corner just like Anthony Davis does yep. at times. Can you play off another of LeBron? 40 million. Yeah. yeah, like, right? And so there's going to be plenty of possessions where LeBron's like, I got the ball. And it's funny that you mentioned MJ and Kobe and even late career magic. Remember in 1996 when magic made his, his comeback, it was, uh-huh. it was baby hookshot magic. And he was in the post a lot. He right? came back as a four. And, yeah. He was a point guard all his career. Then he was like, Oh, he's a, he's a, a four. One of the things that bridges LeBron and those sort sorts of players is that the modern NBA allows him to bring the ball up and dribble right into the damn post. So he doesn't mm-hmm. actually need, so Anthony Davis is not going to do that. Anthony Davis is a post player, mm-hmm. right? And he needs someone to give give him the ball. LeBron is both. He's like, hey, look, I'm starting the ball. I'm starting the possession with, with the ball. I'm going to 
maybe pass it to one guy and then I'm gonna go right to the post and then I'm gonna have that guy throw it back to me or I'm gonna run an inverted pick and roll and have a small guy switch on to me. I'm gonna pass it to the other guy who has the big on him now and then that guy's gonna throw it back to me and then I'm gonna isolate, right? Like there's so many ways that LeBron can create offense and leverage his size while also using his ball handling ability in order to get him to spots on the floor that he wants to create a possession out out of. And this is why I mentioned earlier that some of my some of my thoughts about what the roster needs hasn't really changed, right? Like I'd still like a skill guard, right? Who could run, pick and roll and hit the pull up jumper. We've seen some of yeah. that with Lonnie Walker and Austin Reeves, and those guys have value within I, this offense. I think that's basically the kind of guy that we're talking about here, D, because to Mike's point of that, that was what Russ was supposed to fill. That's part of, I think, the mistake of trading for him is that like, yes, we needed a shot creating guard, but it needed to be a skill guard, right? Because if you have bigs and you have guys whose fundamental greatness is built around, they're a monster in the paint. And as LeBron gets older, he's still like, the way he bodies younger players just freaking cracks me up around the rim, right? Like he he really knows what he's doing, but it's power. It's a power-based game. And AD as the, a five especially is rolling hard to the rim. And so you got all that gravity down there that if you also have a power guard in that spot, like those guys have a use, but it's really the skill that you need on the perimeter to counter that, where that's when you get to the point where it's like, oh crap, how do we guard these guys? Yeah. And, and so this is where I want to have a bigger conversation about the skill sets that current, so like forgetting player names for a second, but the skill sets that are on this roster now, the skill sets that are helping the team be successful in certain moments of the game, we all know the skill sets that detract, right? Like the turnovers and mm-hmm. the bad shooting and and everything else. But there is a certain amount of, and this is the problem of build building out trades, is it's like, oh yeah, give me all the good stuff. I want all that stuff. That stuff's good. <laughs> That's going to help us, right? But no player is perfect and every player brings yeah. their own detractions to to the court, right? And we're seeing that with Russ. We're seeing it with Pat Bev. We're seeing it with all of these names that we sure. are like forecasting to send these, these guys out. Well, guess what? The players that you trade for, they're going to be very similar mm-hmm. in not necessarily in terms of like, oh, they do this thing well and that thing bad. And so why am I trading my guy who does those same, same things well and bad? It's more that they're going to have their strengths and they're going to have their weaknesses and incorporating that in into a roster built around LeBron in in AD is going to be have its own challenges right and so let's go to break here when we come back on the, the other side I want to talk a little bit about shot creation and playmaking and shooting and defense We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, do you know who leads the Lakers in assists this season? I haven't even looked. So I'm asking you a question, and I'm just going to go to a site right now, and I'm going to look <laughs> this up. But do you know who leads the Lakers in assists? I would guess Russ. Yes, it's Russell Westbrook. He averaged 7.3 assists a game, and he's doing it as a reserve right now. Russ also leads the Lakers in turnovers at 3.8 a game. And so there's a little bit of – there's some good and there's some bad that comes with that, right? But we're talking about trading the Lakers best assist player so far this season on a team that has some individual shot creation, but the shot creation that they have is typically for themselves, right? And so LeBron is second on that list. And Mike, you mentioned this the other night, which I think astutely in regards to the Pacers game where LeBron only had three assists. He only had one one turnover, but his profile as a player was much more like I'm going to go get mine rather than I'm going to create for other people. And my sentiment is, is that Dennis Schroeder is a go get mine sort of scoring point guard. Austin Reeves is much more of a make the right play sort of guy and not necessarily a I'm going to create a bunch of shots for other people sort of guy. And Russell Westbrook has been the lone player this season that has basically shown that he can be a high level shot creator for other people. Now, that comes with its drawbacks. It comes with all kinds of other baggage attached to it. But he has been that. He leads the Lakers in in assists. And so one of the points that I'm just going to kick back to you, you guys, is is how important is it to replace some of that shot creation for others, for other people, in a trade if you're sending out the player who currently leads the Lakers in assists? And I'm just asking you guys straight up, how important is it to both of you? For me, probably a little bit less important than Pete, uh, but still important. The shot creation elements, it's just, it's just such an interesting conversation to have with LeBron James still not only on the roster, but he's second in assists, right, even though he's scoring more. And he's second in turnovers by one, and he's still going to be out there in a lot of the key situations. And in thinking about the team, not just for this year, but for next year, <clears throat> I'm just not, if that shot creator can also defend wings, <laughs> then great. So I'm, I'm right back where I used to be. And, and like, I'm, I still think that it's easy to find some level of shot creation than it is to find some level of two-way capability that I, that I know has to be put next to LeBron and AD. Uh, but maybe, I'm, maybe there's something that I'm not quite acknowledging about the difference between them this year and two years ago and having to find this new type of build. But the answer is probably both. And I guess that's the part of where Russell's uh, salary slot, you know, can potentially get there. It's just that they're the whole point of the other teams having to agree to send enough players back that are actually good um, on both things while, you know, while draft compensation gets brought into play. But, you know, the I'll let Pete speak more directly to, 
the importance of that because I know that's that's a you know that's just a, a theme that you've been real consistent on. So it's something that I think is important to a degree, but I think that you can get there in a couple of different ways. And so I would choose D either that guy that's looking to create shots for other people or my preference is actually a guy who's just a freaking bucket, you know, like just a guy that can, that is a high skill player. Uh, so for example, there was a, a rumored guy back in the, when we traded for, for Russ, that was a, a similar on ball type of player. And this guy gets to the free throw line and he is a mid range killer. He's not somebody that's going to really be a spot up three point threat, but if you give him the ball and he's, guarded on the perimeter he will get you get you baskets in ways that are created out of out of nothing right and so that that i think is an important point with russ is that he to run this offense you need a catalyst you need that somebody to turn the ignition in the first place I don't think it has to be that downhill, like I'm going to throw these beautiful alley-oops into tight windows perfectly sure. accurately the way that, that Russ does, or that I'm going to drive and I'm going to kick it out real quick right into somebody's shot pocket, and they're going to get an, a more open three than they otherwise would. That's great, but it's not the only way to achieve the something from nothing. And that's really the point that I'm trying to make is that like when you watch this team and you don't have that attribute that you were talking about on the floor, D, like our offense is significantly worse. And part of it is because the guards that we do have are go get my own types to a certain degree. That said, the internal resolution in terms, not outside of the, what would we trade for between Russ and the, and the other trade, like the internal resolution is give Lonnie and Austin more on ball reps. And I, now I think you need a guy better than them to do this in a way that keeps everything flowing, right? Where they're like the second and third best guys at doing that on the team. And like Dennis just isn't quite good enough. Like he's the type of player that I'm talking about that can do a little bit of, of both, but he just doesn't quite do it at the high enough level. In my concept of the team, at the very least, Dennis is this player's backup. But the, the funny thing is, is I think you can get this either at the point guard spot or the, the small forward position, which is a place where my mind goes for in terms of like what types of players we need. If I could trade for an archetype of a player, it would be a small forward. And there are a few ways that you can go about doing that. It is the pure sh you know shooter scorer type. It is the two way wing that Mike talks about as well. Right. And I think there's great conversations to be had around that. There's even guys that can create a little bit for others. So I kick that to you, D, that idea of that forward. We've had a lot of point guards and just guard like playing the wing quote unquote where it's like if we just had a guy that was six seven six eight that just played the position naturally it would i think lock a lot of things into place the ideal version of the team to me is more in line with the team that existed in 2020 but with different quality of players and moving the sliders a little bit right and so I do want a two-way wing. I want a natural small forward or a natural calm combo forward. The player who can defend another team's wing can slot LeBron appropriately defensively and play off of LeBron and between LeBron and, and AD. That's the ideal player. I know that we talk a lot about a skill guard. I'd love a skill guard as well, but I also like Austin Reeves. I like Lonnie Walker. I like Troy Brown to a certain extent. Like they have they all have a certain amount of ball handling and shot making ability. 
what I'm mostly looking for, if I, if I had my choice, I would be looking at a two-way wing at small forward who can stretch the floor, and I'd be looking at a natural feel guard. A guard who understands how to organize offense, a guard who is like going to commandeer some of those possessions back from LeBron because LeBron feels comfortable giving this guy the ball in terms of organizing the offense. Because that player is also going to be like, yeah, guess what? We're going to Anthony Davis this time. Yeah. Right. Because this is the unsaid thing that exists right now is that right now. On this specific date. Now, will it look like this in two months? I don't know. Will it look like this in four months? No clue. Right now, today, the Lakers' best generator of offense is Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. And they should be targeting Anthony Davis more and more and more. But against the Pacers, he got two shot attempts in the second quarter, while the other two primary shot creators took 14. And I'm going to keep hammering that point. And I'm going to hammer it every single chance that I get Mm -hmm. to talk about Anthony Davis because he was the dude that if you talk to any of the players around the team, they were telling everyone, hey, for the past two weeks, this dude looked like the best player in the league. Mm -hmm. So if you've got the best player in the league on your team, then, hey, how about trying to get the ball to the best player in the league? That sounds like a good idea. So to the same point. Why not build around him and like so much of the conversation that I think we've had about building the roster of this team, Mike, has been supplementing LeBron. And part of that's out of necessity. It it is in year 20. Right. But when you got the the best dude in, in the league or a guy who's in that conversation when he's going, why not do everything that you can to help facilitate that in terms of your concept of building the team? So does that change anything for you, Mike, in terms of how you look at this team? Like what is what is the version of building this roster out that supports Anthony Davis? I think that AD would still uh, enjoy having a real center um, that he can that he could play next to, at least for part of the minutes. But of course, while that while mm-hmm. acknowledging that the majority, I think, are still going to come at center um, and the way that the league has evolved and the way that other teams play their personnel, um, that's true. But at least at least somebody that can take some of those duties um, as the season goes on. And that player isn't typically that expensive, but it might be more, you know, than mm-hmm. at least what they've been able to find in the vet men. Um, although I still the optimized yeah. version of Thomas Bryant, uh, where like shooting threes is still he- sort of exciting. Um, for, for me, TB, Mike, it's about his rim protection. Like if Thomas Bryant could just like hold down the five spot defensively for 12 minutes a game, we'd be in business. Yeah. And that's something though, that I don't know that he's ever showed to that extent, whereas he has shown the shooting, you know, and so that, and at least he could, he could take up space down there in a different way. And if AD's on the floor, typically when he is, then the rim protection thing is not quite as important, but of course you're right. That that would be the, the super, super ideal. Uh, and if you can get that at a vet, man, great. You know, this is this is again where it's no, you wish casting. <laughs> Those <you> guys, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm thinking more of AD. I made me think of Milwaukee a little bit because earlier uh, the discussion was sort of, well, the teams that actually win, even going back to Kobe and Shaq, the big guy. And in a sense, on offense, Giannis is a big guy, even though he can initiate in the same way that AD can some with a handle. And he certainly does a lot of his work in transition. That that guy, it's just harder to get that guy the ball. Uh, and there's always been a part of me that wants to push back against that some. And this is where I have to defer to you guys uh, who watch the Kobe Shaq teams with a 
far greater uh, and more intense gaze than me. Who, and I was certainly doing it from afar. And it was like, how often in those cases, because of Kobe's greatness, he knew that he could just sort of break it off and run the offense and was needed to, whereas they probably could have still gotten Shaq a little bit more work in some of those situations, right? Like if, if, sure, it was, if that course. was really what his focus was. And, and that's part of what I was thinking. Like we were texting in the first half of the game and I was getting annoyed with how a certain player was playing. And then that certain player made a specific effort to get a certain other player, the basketball and did it great for a couple of minutes. And then that just went away in the fourth quarter. And I, I think that the, fe- that, this that. is where the feeling of sports comes into play sometimes. And I, and, and it's a little silly for me to acknowledge that it wouldn't be able to happen or that it would happen because this is how sports work. But the feeling is, ah, the pressure is coming too much. We, we just can't get it to this guy right now. Let's go do something else. And then that's, that, that stuff gets broken off where it's still available if you do it the mm. right way. And mm-hmm. if the floor is spaced the right way, and this is where it gets into personnel too. So, oh man, this Mike, this is such a good branch to go down. Like even the like run to your spots, like the whole idea of our last five minute offense being bad. It's like you're walking across half court. You don't get to your spot until there's ten seconds left on the shot clock. We go through the motions, and oh, now there's five seconds left on the shot clock, and we've launched exactly one attack out of triple threat. Right, like. You know, if you get to your spots and it's not a matter of like rushing, but like just play deliberately, but also with urgency, right? Like you're relenting to what the opponent is doing with their scheme when you just sort of say, "Okay, yeah, I guess we won't get the ball entered into AD here. But we've got we've got a couple other guys who can who who like going against this kind of disadvantaged defense. And so let's just do it six times in a row. And then all of a sudden the lead goes from 17 to 10 and, you know, and it got, because the other team is dictating. Uh, and right. So th- I think this is what Darius is saying, right. In terms of that guard with feel is that guy who can read that and play off or be like, no, LeBron weak side, we're going to run this action, right. To, to get AD. The ball. Is, I mean, that was, there's part of that. That's part of what Rondo did in 1920. Yeah. yeah. Where he didn't, he came in and, and just said, no, 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 no. We're still running stuff a certain way. I'm still going to get the ball to AD in certain situations. And I'm going to take part of that decision out of LeBron's hands for at least a couple possessions because LeBron can always get, even if it's the end of the shot clock step back, like he's still going to feel good about that shot. Even if it's not mm-hmm. the one that's optimized of course. for him or the team, it's still a good look. And that's still the beauty and the power of LeBron, like even at this stage. So it's not like the worst possession in the world, even if it looks like it sometimes when he's dragging down, but that's, that's that other guy and I don't know that in the way that like Russ's feel compared to Rondo's, that's a different type of a thing based on the players that they are. So there I'm acceding to that. It's just also what did you get Rondo for versus what are the other deficiencies of he had? And he's such a unique player. He could sure. guard up when he wanted to sometimes it, it's yeah, it, it, Darius, it gets, it gets complicated there. Well, and mentality is such a big part of Rondo too. And that's where I wanted to kick it to you, D is that player that Mike is describing that can tell LeBron, no, no, we're doing something else is there are a few dudes just personality wise in the league that you have to have a certain amount of self-confidence, whether that's in through the force of your personality and knowledge of the game, like Rondo, or I'm so damn good that like, I'm going to create something better over here. I got, I got a two man game with me and Anthony Davis you three over there, we, we got this. We're going to score on this play because we're both really good at the parts of the job that that need to be on, on this right here. So like 
that's part of the reason why, though, that's a $25 million plus player in most instances. Yeah, I think playing with any great perimeter shot creator player like a like a LeBron or even a Kobe, right? Especially at the later stages of their careers, you better do it right or you're going to catch some side eye, right? So like, I don't know how many times I saw Kobe sort of just like, oh, you're relegating me to over here? Yeah. It better work. <laughs> Lou Williams told this great story on a podcast where he talked about how the game didn't go very well. It was either halftime or at the end of the game. Um, but they're in the locker room and Kobe was basically just like, yeah, guess what? Y'all going to learn what it's like to play with Kobe Bryant now. Every effing time we come down on offense, I'm touching the ball. Y'all ain't doing it right. So I'm going to have to do it. And LeBron's not that sort of like, I'm going to get in your face and say it like that. But believe me, when there's going to be times where, and you feel that pressure as the other shot creator, right? And so you, on a certain level, you have to be immune to that pressure. And you have to be like, I don't care that you're LeBron James. And I'm sorry, like, Austin Reeves isn't going to have have that yet. Lana, exactly. Lonnie might have that exactly. a little bit, right? But so you need to have a certain amount of, of like self-assuredness and stature in the league and just, just belief in yourself, right? But I want to go in a different direction a little bit because we've we've gone down all of these, these branches. But I just want to get back to the simple point that if we're still talking about trades, one of the ideas that needs to happen is like the team is still too small. They yes. still have too too many guards, and they need to rebalance the roster, Mike. And look, you talk about the big wing. Give me a big wing, right? I. It comes down to this, though. The team needs a forward who is in between six seven and six nine, and can slot in between LeBron James and and Anthony Davis. They need at least one fewer guard in the rotation, and preferably two fewer guards in the rotation in order to allow Austin and Lonnie and whatever guard you do not trade out of the Russ, Nunn, Pat, Bev. I honestly don't think you can trade all three of those guys without getting a guard back, right? I agree. And even if you do get a guard back, you probably still want at least one of those, those guards. And it might be Beverly. He is the defensive guy who you probably trust to defend and who will be totally accepting of a 18 minute per night role, right? Maybe even off off of the bench or the token starter. I was thinking about this the other day that I, I think that Bev in a lot of ways feels that Rondo role. Like he's the Rondo of this team in terms of he's one of the masters of the game mentally. And he speaks that truth to power and will be that guy that's like, AD LeBron, this is, you didn't make this rotation, right? And I'm going to say it in front of everyone. Yeah. And, and then I still think, Mike, that like the team should be looking at, our, is our big rotation good enough, right? And so Thomas Bryant has played really well on offense. He's played really well on, on offense, and that has gotten him diminishing returns in terms of minutes, right? And what you've been seeing is Wenyon Gabriel, Pete, playing much more because while he is not the dynamic player that Thomas Bryant is offensively, he has shown more versatility defensively while also providing all of the motor stuff that right. Thomas Bryant does. 
And, and so while I don't think Wenyon is necessarily as good a player overall as Thomas Bryant, he's got more diversity to his game because he's more of a two-way guy. And so he's gotten more, more run. And so, but is Wenyon Gabriel as your backup center a good enough player for a team that you hope to go deep into the playoffs? That's a real question to me too. And so if we're getting down to brass tacks here and like, what do the Lakers need in a trade? To me, they probably need a little bit more shot creation in in the backcourt, but that's secondary to me, to size and versatility on the wing and potentially a better defensive presence at the big man position that you can capably play behind Anthony Davis and not have your defense fall fall apart while also playing potentially next to Anthony Davis where you can supersize and play jumbo lineups in order to dictate the terms of of engagement to the other team in terms of the size and that is part of the reason why like I think we need a 6'8 guy, but I would I actually think that an offensive minded one, like if, if you're 6'7, six, 6'8, six, and you can shoot the hell out of the ball or score in a variety of ways, um, I think that that would serve that purpose of the shot creating guard that we're talking about. There are a couple of guys that check that box. And I, the and so that's and th- I think that more naturally slots like Lonnie and Austin into these two-way guards that but that are not like they have some on-ball ability but they're not the main guys down the stretch that you're relying on in that last five minute type situation that just made me think of now this is not this is not a lakers you know potential target clearly based on what they're doing but like for milwaukee that's what mm-hmm. middleton in some ways does 100 yes right he's the big wing but he's next to Giannis. but you can just run offense through him in a different way where you know if you don't have the right guy and they'll just turn and shoot over the top and it, it's is that the kind of guy you're talking about? hundred percent. And that elite pull-up jump shooting is one of the most important attributes in terms of high-level basketball that I think that it would be important on this team when that has so much around the rim. Like if LeBron and AD are our bigs, I think that from in terms of a closing lineup, that that sort of pull-up jump shooting on the perimeter is a perfect complement to that. But I also agree with with Darius and but in, in terms of that size and rebounding, like this is a very much a no rebounds, no rings type of team. Like we, if we just were better on the defensive boards, I think we'd solve a lot of our problems. Now, part of it, like you said, yes, on yesterday's pod was like, well, you play russet power forward. Yeah. You're going to give up some rebounds. And it's part of the reason why, like watching TB and Wenyon come in and get a zillion rebounds in like three minutes is like, oh, it's right here on the team. And it's been right here all along. Like if you need bigs in size to carry you through the season to some degree you have that on the team you just got to play these guys together and i've been it's been so curious to see the concept of the team through darbin's eyes in terms that he plays a smaller group it's very much that drive and kick type of team and when we've been at our best you've seen the value of like hey we got several guards on the perimeter that like do a few different things with the ball and as, as shooters and whatnot um and there's value to that but i think we've got it just one too few presences around the rim. Now, that said, in in a playoff setting, I don't think TB and Wenyon will cut it. If that's our ultimate goal is I think we need somebody who's – because TB is not defensively good enough to – 
to hold it down and teams are going to go right at him. We saw San Antonio do this in the game where Anthony Davis set and Wenyon is not big enough. He's got the fight. He's got good technique, but he's a four and I think he can still be a part of the rotation. But the player that I'm looking for is one of the mountains of the league, right? One of the big guys, the Dwight Howard replacement, the guy who's going to hold it down around the rim in terms of as rim protection, but most importantly, defensive rebounding. And that can play alongside Anthony Davis in ways where it's like, hey, this other team's killing us on the boards. All right, well, this guy's going to play the five and we've got Anthony Davis on the perimeter. Problem solved. We're not giving up the defensive rebounding that we were. And so that's why, D, there are a couple guys around the league that I've got circled that are like, that's a player that can hold down that backup big man role and provide a level of size and rebounding all his own. That's like what he does in the league and that I think would be a super helpful player on this team. This was fun, guys. I think this is the start of a conversation, certainly not the end of it. We will be back tomorrow. Got a game against Portland tonight. But until then, then listen to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, that next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.